So today's sermon is three power principles I've seen, I've learned in 25 years of ministry, like a quarter century. I'm getting old. And so the three of them is resist, and it all starts with the letter R. Resist bitterness, remain poor in spirit, rethink success. And the too long didn't read summary is in Christ, we reject bitterness, cultivate a humble spirit, and seek success through obedience to God's will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we pray that you release your glory, hide me behind the cross, anoint me, and not just me, but anoint the people sharing during the sermon recap. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let me stop screen share for a moment. So let's review the last three weeks sermon really quick, right? And so the first sermon of the new year, January 1st, was called Look Good, Smell Good, and Live Good. And the three big ideas was get dressed, the king is calling you, right? And then it was smell right, spiritual power has a scent, right? The anointing has an, uh, an aroma, a fragrance, right? Faith has a fragrance. And living biblically, right? Live good, live biblically, embrace divine design, learn to apply and integrate biblical principles. Can I hear an amen? January 8th, we spoke about living with eternity in mind. Let me share this with Sister Anna. Just in case she wants to share on Facebook or her, Ethan. Living with eternity in mind. That's what we spoke about January 8th. Christian life is not about just getting through this life. It's about living with eternity in mind. Our ultimate goal as Christians is to spend eternity with God. Last week, I spoke a message called Be Ready to Test. Testify, encourage, serve, and tithe. Right. So when you come to church next week in person, be ready to testify, be ready to encourage, be ready to serve, and be ready to give. And so today, I want to talk about the three power principles. Uh, resist bitterness, remain poor in spirit, rethink in success. Um, if I have a memory aid rhyme, it would be, with Christ as a guide, bitterness will flee. In humility, true success will see. Bars. All right, so number one, resist bitterness. Bitterness, there's a quote all over social media. Bitterness is like drinking poison. Poison. And waiting for the other person to die. Ouch. I gotta say that again. It's been said that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So let's start this big idea by making mention that Jesus overcame bitterness. Jesus was never bitter, right? And we always hear the phrase, don't be bitter, be better. Right? And so that's what we see in Jesus' life. You know, he never brought up the circumstances surrounding his birth. He never brought up that though he is the human face of God, God incarnate, they had to, his parents had to use the poor people's sacrifice for his birth, right? So when you have your firstborn, especially son, you had to give a sacrifice, and there was like tears of sacrifice. And his parents had to give the poorest sacrifice because they were poor. Isn't it crazy that the God himself came through a narrative of poverty, right, to show us how to overcome? So he was never bitter about poverty, never bitter, bitter about circumstances of his birth, never bitter about having to move from like uh, Bethlehem to Egypt and back. 
about the rumors surrounding his mother. I'm pretty sure he heard some stuff, right? He could, he could read the minds. He was never bitter about the time his neighbors tried to push him off the cliff. Yo, that's crazy. Luke chapter 4, verse 27 to 30. It says, Jesus telling, in the end of Jesus telling a story, he kind of rebukes them. He, you know how like we're wrapped, they throw subliminals? He kind of throws a sub. And he says, and there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elijah, but the only one here was Naaman, a Syrian. And they didn't like that. When they heard this, verse 28, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him, forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed through the crowd and went on his way. This was in Nazareth. He knew these people. Like when you're from a small town, you know people. And so the people pushing him, the people foamy at the mouth, the people picking up rocks, these are people were his neighbors. They, he knew them. And you know what? He walked right through them, never mentioned it again. He wasn't bitter against his family. You know, sometimes the family can get on your nerves. You know, not my family. I love my family. But, uh, you know, other people. <laughs> Luke chapter 8, verse 19 to 21. It says that Jesus' mother and brother came to see him. And they couldn't get, it, get to him because of the crowd. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brother are outside and they want to see you. Now, theologians say that they wanted to like bring him home, forcefully bring him home, that they thought he lost his mind. Jesus replied, my mother and my brother are those who hear God's word and obey. Woo! He was never bitter because later on, he venerates his mother on the cross, right? And then his brother, James, becomes like one of the leaders, gets, gets saved, after the resurrection and becomes one of the, he didn't say like, oh, but mom at the time, you tried to interrupt me that one time, he never brought it up. He wasn't bitter at Paul, right? I think Acts chapter 7, when they stoned Stephen, right? And, said, and Stephen says, he looks up, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and Paul was there, and later on he calls Paul. See, brothers and sisters, we have to, when we look at Jesus, we look at, at God, we look at when he was here, he refused to be bitter. And let that motivate you and I. The book of, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 14 through 15. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without one, with, with which no one will see the Lord. See it, see it to, that no one will fail to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it become defiled. See, brothers and sisters, not only will bitterness sink your ship, right? I sink your battleship. Not only will bitterness sink your ship, it will drown others as well. You know, Heraclides, one of the earliest um, philosophers, says, it's difficult to fight against anger, for a man will buy revenge with his soul. Don't let bitterness poison you. Brothers and sisters, attitudes are contagious, and misery loves company. If you drink the poison of bitterness, you will slowly, spiritually, emotionally die. But not only that, you will impact and infect others because of the bitter people um, kind of release acid all over and I'm going to tell you the truth a lot of my the, my biggest pain came from other people in church nothing injures a human spirit like the injuries afflicted by other believers 
Zechariah chapter 13 verse 6 says, And if one ask him, What are these wounds on your back? He will say, The wounds I received in the house of my friends. And so when you get hurt by friends, you get hurt by other Christians, these are difficult wounds to heal, and they steal vibrancy and life from your spirit. But I'm going to tell you something. Pain is inevitable, but bitterness and misery is a choice. And we know our choices help shape our circumstances. This is the difference between being punctured with a needle and picking the scab over and over so it never heals. See, sadly enough, many people become embittered because they have unrealistic expectations and they trust the wrong people. The Bible says love, love people, but trust God. Or they have, they didn't order their ambitions and they have motives that are not pure. And, and, and this expect, uh, unmet needs, unmet dreams kind of give birth to bitterness. All right, I think we got it. So what is, another idea about bitterness is if you struggle with bitterness, don't get around other bitter people because it'll make it worse. Psalms chapter 1 verse 1 in the New King James Version says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So here's an antidote. You must be willing to see the hand of the loving and caring God in your painful situation. Just like Joseph in the Bible, when, when he says what you meant for harm, God meant for good. And he even named his son Manasseh, which means I forget my troubles. Right? We have to learn to trust God in our healing. All right, second big idea is remaining poor in spirit. Remaining poor in spirit. Turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, being poor in spirit is a key aspect of our Christian faith, which involves the recognition of one's spiritual poverty and having a dependence on God's grace and forgiveness. It's a humility and acknowledgement that we need God and a willingness to turn away from the flesh. Jesus, in his humility, demonstrated being poor in spirit. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, we just read that. And in, in, in the book of Philippians, it talks about how he let go of his power or his co-equalness with God for our sake. Right? Being poor in the spirit is the only way you can receive the riches of Christ. We have to be fully dependent on God. Fully dependent on the Lord. You know, Matthew 5, 3 in the Amplified Version says, Blessed, and then they put the famous parentheses, to spiritually blessed, which means spiritually prosperous, happy, to be admired, are the poor in spirit, quotes, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and the future. In God's word translation, it said, blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually helpless, the kingdom of heaven belong to them. See, brothers and sisters, being poor in the spirit is having a heart like a child, right? Not being childish, but being childlike. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 5 says, About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Verse 2, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. 
and then said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like children, you will never get into the kingdom of God. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Matthew chapter 11 verse 25 says, At that time Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think of themselves as wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you to be humble before God. Confident before man, but humble before God. Dependent on God's guidance. Dependent on God's grace. Dependent on God's power. Humble yourself every morning, every afternoon, every evening. Saying, Lord, I need you. I, without you, I will self-sabotage myself. Without you, I lean towards sin. Without you, I lean towards pride. Without you, I lean towards deceit. I need you, Lord. Purify me. Yes. Teach me purity, maturity, and unity. Yes. Teach me to love to be love holiness. That holiness is possible. Sanctify me. For your service, make me a clean cup in which the spirit of the, the living waters of God can be poured out into others. Yes. Teach me, Lord, to be holy, healthy, happy, hopeful, and helpful. To be poor in spirit. And even as you grow, even as you begin to make 50,000, 75,000, 100,000, 125,000, 200,000, you buy a house and on paper you're worth a million, a million point five. And even as God just blesses you, that you stay poor in spirit. I'm not saying being poor in finances. I mean poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit make, it means making room for God in your life. Yeah. All right, brothers and sisters, let, let's go to the last point. Rethink success. The world is selling you the dream that success is strictly salary, status, passion, possessions, power, and prestige. But God has a different view of success. I want you to rethink your definition of success according to God's view. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to, bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scripture says, if you are to boast, boast only about the Lord. The Lord's measure of success focuses on quality, 
faithfulness, longevity, staying in power, keeping power in the ministry, right? It's about people who are faithful, people who are fruitful, people who are friendly, people who bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's not about just attendance, buildings, and cash, ABC of modern Christianity. It's about people who look more like Jesus every week. People who love their family. People who practice stewardship. People who when you get around them, you encourage, you envision, you're emboldened. That you feel God's love. And to, to have a community of people who just love the Lord. And that love just pours out of their pores. See brothers and sisters, Jesus' definition of success is not based on worldly standards. In Luke 16, 15, Jesus says, What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. True success, according to Jesus, is found in humility and obedience to God's will. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 to 28, Jesus teaches that the true greatness is found in being a servant to others, not in seeking power and prestige. Jesus' ultimate act of success was his sacrifice on the cross, giving his life to save humanity. He teaches, that, he teaches us that success is not about just accumulation of things. It's about serving and loving. So when you think about success, I want to give you a, like an acronym, HOPS, right? HOPS. Humble, obedient, purpose, and servanthood, Right? Want to be successful? Stay humble. Humility is the attractive factor for God's favor and power. You want, you, you want to be successful? Stay obedient. Obedient is the pathway to blessing and fulfillment. The more obedient you are, the less you need miracles. Because you never, you never go wrong doing the right thing. We just have to ask the Holy Spirit to continue to teach us what the right thing is. That's in the book of Isaiah. It says, I will teach you to do good. Because our definition of good is so restricted that we need to stay in God's presence, reading God's word, learning God's principles, God's covenants, so we can expand what is good. So you need to be humble. You need to be obedient. You need purpose. Right? Our main purpose, according to Westminster Catechism, I love the way they phrase it, it says to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Man, if you can enjoy Him on this side of the veil now, you're going to enjoy Him even more on the other side of the veil when you see His glory and grandeur and greatness. And serving. You want to be successful? Learn to serve. You want to have a good marriage? Learn to serve. Husbands? Learn to serve. Wives? Learn to serve. Children? Learn to serve. Parents? Learn to serve. You want to succeed at work? Learn to serve. A servant mindset can help foster a spirit of collaboration, a spirit of teamwork, and help you become a rainmaker at work. What's a rainmaker? Rainmaker, a person who drives growth. All right, we're almost done. Rick Warren says, "Success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is one of the keys to success. Right? Let that, that joy of the Lord be the catalyst." Some of you are waiting to be joyful when something happens, but man, having that joy will make something mm -hmm. happen. Frank Viola says, success is not about what we do, but about who we are, knowing our identity in Christ. All right, we're done, because I can't wait for this sermon recap. Conclusion, resist bitterness, remain poor in spirit, rethink success. In Christ, we reject bitterness, we cultivate a humble spirit, and we seek true success through God's will. Right? The, the rhyme. As, with Christ as guide, 
bitterness will flee. In humility, true success will see. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your guidance and wisdom as we strive to walk in humility and obedience. We pray for the strength to let go of our own desires and submit to your will in our lives. Help us to remain poor in spirit and constantly seek you in all things. We ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live in humility, trust, and obedience. We trust you, Lord, to bring about our breakthrough, both spiritual, relational, and material, as we put our faith in you. We give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, fam. Let me stop this recording, and then let me start letting people in.